Go ahead and open your Bibles this morning to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5, and we are going to look this morning at the fifth commandment in Deuteronomy chapter 5. But we will read from verses 6 down to 16. Deuteronomy chapter 5. We will focus on verse 16, but we will read verses 6 to 16. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, authoritative, and sufficient word this morning, starting in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 6. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates." that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother, as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long. And that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. How must ancient Israel, the people of God, the clan, and the group that he chose from all the peoples on the earth to be his treasured possession to be his kingdom of priests, to be his holy nation, how must this people live so as to reflect the glory of God to all the nations around them? They must live a life that displays to those nations the joys and the privileges and the honor and the wonder of being in a covenant relationship with so glorious, just, and merciful a God as the great I Am is. Yahweh, the God of Israel. For this purpose and for the good of Israel, the Lord set down His commandments for the people And he made promises to them, saying, Abundant blessings and peace beyond anything you could ever ask, think, or imagine will be given to you if, Israel, you obey these commands in the land that I am giving you. But he also, on the flip side, told them that if you disobey these commands in the land, there will be curses brought upon you. And so this covenant word from God to the people opens up with a series of ten crucial commandments for the peoples to obey. First, they were to remember that the Lord is the one who delivered them and brought them out from the land of Egypt, out from the house of slavery. They were to remember as the foundation for their obedience the fact that it was the Lord, the only true and living God, who out of his great love and affection for this people rescued them from their bondage and their harsh oppression. For this reason, Israel was, therefore, to have, as we read in verse 7, no other gods before the Lord. Meaning, no other so-called gods were to be named, respected, honored, worshipped, reverenced at all, or venerated in Israel. Why? Because they are all false. In fact, 
all of the places where these gods might be worshipped, every place in Israel where there was a statue to some other god or a practice to some other god, those were, according to Scripture, to be demolished, burned, chopped down, and razed. Not even a hint of other gods was permitted in Israel. Because all of them are at best the product of a fallen mind and at worst from the demonic realm itself. They have no power to save, they can't see, they can't hear, they can't speak, they can't help. And the the Old Testament is very clear and the New Testament is very clear that anyone who worships false gods provokes the Lord to anger. Israel and all who would obey this command are to serve the Lord alone. No syncretism. Syncretism is the idea that you can mix in the practices of other religions with your worship of the Lord. Out of bounds. No taking part in their ceremonies. It's not good. It's evil. We do, we serve the Lord and have no other gods beside him by trusting Christ, who is God come to us in the flesh. Christ, who came and dwelt among us in order to seek and to save the lost. Christ, who is the way and the truth and the life. Christ is the only way for anyone to come to the Father and be saved by grace through faith in his name. The Lord God made a second, gave a second commandment in chapter 5, verses 8 to 10, saying, You shall not make for yourself a carved image. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So in Israel, there were to be no graven images or carved images of any other gods, nor of Yahweh himself. Because no image can adequately capture the infinite majesty of the living God. Every time you try to put a form or or an image to the Lord who is himself invisible, it is a degrading of his glorious person. Thirdly, God commanded his people saying in verse 11, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And this taking of his name in vain means or includes any making light of his glorious name, any lack of reverence and honor with regards to himself. It also warns any who would bear or carry his name, anyone who would claim him as their Lord and Savior, and by so doing represent him to the world in which we live, anyone who would claim him as their Lord, but then profane and defile his name by living contrary to that profession, these also take his name in vain. And the Lord will not hold guiltless those who profess him as Lord and defile his name in such ways. And listen, the commandment is this. If you say you love Jesus, then live for Jesus. Do what he commands in all places, at all times, with your words and with your actions. Glorify him in your obedience and let the world see you live for him so that they might bring glory to his name too. And last week... We looked at the Lord's command to Israel that they observe a sign of the Mosaic Covenant, the Sabbath, the seventh day of the week, and on that seventh day, they were to rest. And as they rest, they were to let it be known that it is the Lord who is the creator of heaven and earth, the unchallengeable sovereign who rules over all, and he is Israel's redeemer. And so, Israel, as you rest on the seventh day of the week, ponder and meditate and consider these wonderful truths and let them elevate your affections for this God who loves you so much and is so powerful. And now, as we come to the fifth commandment, the Lord will now hone in on the family unit. And I have no doubt that as we look at this commandment together, some of you might be rattled this morning. I know some of you kids will be, but I also know the parents will be too. This command speaks of the relationship of parents to children and children to parents. It speaks to the responsibilities that each group has to the other. See, this isn't simply a word to children only, but it's also a word to the parents of sons and daughters as well. So let's begin there with you, parents. The command is that sons and daughters honor your father and your mother. You see that in verse 16. And while the command holds, even if and even when fathers and mothers aren't worthy of that honor, it behooves us as parents, 
It is appropriate and advisable and expected that we as parents would act honorably towards our children. The Hebrew word is kavod. It's the word that means weighty and heavy. It is the word used throughout scriptures to signify or to speak to the glory of God himself. And it's used here in the figurative sense. And when it's used in the figurative sense, it speaks to concepts like weighty and heavy. Weighty and heavy refer to a thing's significance, its reputation, its importance. So when the command is given to Israel and repeated in the New Testament that you are to honor one's, your father and your mother, it means that you are to ascribe to them great importance in your life. Great significance in your life and display that disposition by respecting them, by deferring to them, and by dutifully submitting yourself to their authority in your younger years when you live in their home and by lovingly providing for them in, as they age. Leviticus 19.3 will say it like this. Every one of you shall revere his mother, and his father. Reverence describes a disposition of respect towards its object, which in this case is mother and father. It actually means to exalt them, to consider and respect their words as they speak to you, to respect their influence and their authority more highly than we do our own. That's the command. Parents, this for you is a heavy and weighty responsibility and role. And if you have children, you know this is not an easy task. It takes a lifetime of work to care for, tend to, protect, and to train up our children. It takes much in the way of diligence and self-control and fortitude and biblical wisdom and prayer to be the types of fathers and to be the types of mothers that deserve the honor that our kids are supposed to give to us. And for all you parents in here this morning, for a season in your life, for a season in your child's life, you are going to be the one who displays the Lord's authority to them. And your decisions as a parent will heavily influence the way your child understands the fatherhood of God himself. It's for this reason that the old Puritan pastors took parenting so, so very seriously. And one in particular, William Googe, has a three-volume series on parenting, what it means to be a husband and a wife, and what it means to build a godly home. And in this works, he'll say things like this. Hear how seriously previous generations took parenting. He'll say this, and I quote, he is no good Christian that is careless in these matters. A bad husband, wife, or parent is no good Christian. Does it get more clear and more hard than that? He exhorted parents saying, and I quote, Parents should pay careful attention to their conduct toward their children. End quote. And parents must be careful of such things as, Googe puts it, threatening and insulting words, too hard handling, too severe correction, too much restraint of liberty, too small allowance of things needed, and also must be careful that in avoiding all of those things, in avoiding the rock of prov provoking, that parents do not fall into the other ravine of pampering. Good parents, says William Googe, will learn how to strike this balance. So before we speak to our sons and daughters, let's hear what the Bible will say to you, parents, who desire to seek to be easy for your children to honor. The Apostle Paul will speak in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, and say this, 
Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So Paul here will single out fathers because they were, in the Roman and Jewish worlds of 2,000 years ago, the primary discipliners and the primary educators of their children. The command, however, does indeed extend to both fathers and mothers. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the fear and in the discipline of the Lord. One commentator explains the command like this. This command forbids parents from, and I quote, excessively severe discipline, unreasonably harsh demands, abuse of authority, arbitrariness, unfairness, constant nagging and condemnation, subjecting your child to humiliation, and all forms of gross insensitivity to a child's needs and sensibilities. Note the contrast in Paul, right? We don't do these things, but instead we bring them up in the fear, the instruction, and the discipline of the Lord. It is a provocation when parents do not take a child's instruction in the ways of the Lord seriously, teaching such to their kids. And Paul's quite serious. The Apostle Paul is very serious about this. This is a huge deal in Scripture. He's very serious about parental responsibility, so much so that he repeats this in his letter to the Colossians as well. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Parents, this is a command. This is in the imperative voice, meaning it is a command to you. A command set down by the Apostle Paul that we as parents must not needlessly and unlovingly provoke our children. We mustn't needlessly and without love parent them so as to stir them up to anger and stir them up to resentment by our harsh and unloving parenting. As parents, we must not dishearten our children or discourage our children, but instead our role in their lives is to encourage and enliven our children as we train them up. Now, does this mean then that we give them everything they want as they want when they want it? You all know the answer to this question, right? No! Does this mean that we set aside parental duties and our authority to be more of a friend to our children than a parent when they live under our roof? No! It means that your goal in everything you do as a parent is their healthy formation in life and in faith. It also doesn't mean that your children must or always will like you because if you've been a parent, if you are a parent, you know that's not always the case. Oftentimes, they won't. In those seasons or moments when our sons and daughters have their hearts set and their minds set on getting or doing things or being things that we as wiser, older, more seasoned human beings know to be harmful, unhealthy, and unwise, and as we say no to them and even work to explain to them in a caring and loving manner why we're saying no, there will be times when your kids just don't get it. And they won't understand. They won't accept your parental decisions and they're going to argue with you. They might get angry. They might storm off. But you, parents... It is your job to do what seems best to you as you bring up your children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Even when they don't get it. Even when they whine. Even when they talk back. Even when they stomp off to their room and slam the door in their fit of annoyance and outrage at not getting what it is that they want. You, parents, must continue at all times to make good decisions and to make wise choices for those who are in your care and under your supervision. When Paul says, do not provoke your children, he's not telling parents to avoid parenting if their sons or daughters get angry with them. 
No, he is calling on you to keep from discouraging and provoking them by being an irresponsible parent, an absent parent, an unloving parent, an overbearing parent, overly harsh and critical parent. You must set rules for your daughters, and you must keep watch over your sons for their good. I have seen that we live in a day for many where our sons and daughters can act quite foolishly out in the world. They might be chastised in their school for bad marks, chastised by a teacher for saying or doing something foolish. Or they might be out in the world and they might be chastised by law enforcement for doing something illegal or doing something foolish as a child. And then when that news reaches us as parents, how do we respond? We respond by berating the teacher and the law enforcement officer rather than using that as a moment to instruct our children how to be better people. That's a far cry from generations past, isn't it? My father used to tell me that if he got in trouble by his teacher, he was always terrified on the walk home because he knew that when he got home, he was going to get whatever he got from his teacher in class from his mom and dad at home too. We feared the discipline of our parents and that affected and impacted the way we lived our lives. And lest you think that rules will make your children despise you, I used to, many years ago, I used to work at a youth outreach organization in Mississauga. And in my time there, I would converse with many, many teenagers about their lives. Many teenagers uh, from all different stages of their teenage life and from all walks and from all situations. And there were two types of teens that I generally spoke to. There were those teens, that group whose parents were never around. They were always at work or always absent from the home. And their absence from the home meant no rules for the child or for the teen. These students did what they wanted when they wanted. And more often than not, they found themselves in trouble at school and they found themselves in trouble with law enforcement. And for some reason that is beyond me, They would walk around and show off to everyone else their failing grades. It was like a competition to see who could get the lowest grade in class. And they would show off about it. Their parents would buy them whatever they wanted. And the parents would simply let them loose to live life as they pleased. And then you had this other group whose parents were involved in their life. The parents who set rules. Rules in the home. Rules around media consumption. Curfews. Homework. And all the rest. Parents who expected good grades from their children. Parents who expected a good work ethic from their son or their daughter. And these kids all looked with covetous eyes at the others who had no rules to live by. They would complain about having to be home by 9 o'clock or by having, because they had to do their homework when they got home before they could go out with their friends They complained about the limits on their video gaming or on their television time, and they would speak in glowing terms about that day when they would be liberated, at least from their perspective, from the crushing rules of living at home. And as they complained about these rules, those teens who had no restrictions would oftentimes, in other conversations, tell me how jealous they were of those students who were complaining about rules in their home. They wished that they had parents that loved them enough to be so involved in their life. They wanted more than anything for dad and mom to be home telling them not to eat ice cream for breakfast or to go out and get drunk on a Friday night, to be home before dark. They saw the parental oversight in their peers' lives as being loving affection from their parents, something they sorely lacked in all of their so-called freedom. It was a real eye-opening moment for me because all these students who had rules wanted to be free and all the free wanted the rules. So parents, what does this teach you? Your kids are never happy. (laughs) 
And so you do. If you think that your child will love you more because you don't set rules, it's wrong. My experience tells me they won't. And so if that's the case, then be more engaged with your, with your kids. Make it your priority to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. As Paul wrote to the Ephesians and Paul wrote to the Colossians. Bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. Meaning, you must make their training and education, the development and shaping of their morals, of their faith in Christ, a priority. And you do this by setting rules. By instructing them, by commanding them, by admonishing them, by encouraging them, by reproving them, and as necessary, by punishing them. The Word of God speaks to our parental duty to provide guidance for, our, for the responsible living of our children. Counsel about avoiding harmful, improper, and sinful courses in life. And the primary way that we do this, according to the Word of God, is by teaching them the Word of God. That's what Deuteronomy 6 will say. Deuteronomy 7, as Moses wrote, teaching the commands of the Lord diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Parents, it is commanded in the word of God that you teach your children the ways and the commands of the Lord with all due diligence. And that might take the form of family worship times, or a more as-you-go instructing in life situations, or both. It'll look a certain way for your family. Do what is best for your family with, in terms of instructing them, your family, in the Word of God. But it also means that you have to be serious. Are you serious about your relationship with God and the knowledge of God's Word? You must be serious about learning and understanding the will of God and the Word of God in order to lead those who are in your household well. You must make the most of every opportunity to be the primary shaper of your children's minds, speaking about the glories of God, the glory of a life lived for Him in your house, when you're out, when you're traveling, and when you're tucking them in at night. You must fight and strive for your children's hearts and minds in a world that seeks at every turn to remove you from that role. This is a big area of concern for me. Again, I got, the Lord saved me when I was about 17 years old. And by the time I was 19, I was leading a youth ministry in the small town, the one street town of Belluart. That's what it was called, Belluart. Nobody's heard of it, I know. It was one street. Which means that was around 1998 or 1999. And I spent 20 years working with students. 20 years. And over those 20 years of most enjoyable and rewarding privilege, I can tell you there was an event that created and crafted a marked difference in our students. It's a moment in time when our kids became different. Notably so. It was 2007 when a man named Steve Jobs held up a smartphone for the first time. Our young people changed dramatically and not for the better. It's for this reason that this is a big area of concern for me because I noticed it drastically in my two decades of youth ministry. I noticed what kids and children were like prior to the smartphone and after it. So to let your children have unfettered and unsupervised access to smartphones, internet, and social media is one of the most reckless and irresponsible and foolish decisions that a parent can make. And I want you to hear this. 
I know this is going to rattle some of you probably. I want you to hear this and I want you to take it, at heart, take it to heart. The world is at war with you, mom and dad. And the world is going to speak like they care about your kids. But the world is warring against them too. The world stands in opposition to your sons and your daughters. The world stands in opposition to your authority in their lives as mom and dad. The world acts as agents of the enemy and their sole goal for you, mom and dad, and for your children and for your family is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And since the advent of the smartphone, of iPads, and this age of always being connected to the internet, and the scourge on our young people that is social media, the enemy has never had an easier time of waging war against your family than he does right now. He's actively seeking to work through the world to shape the minds of your child, to turn them against the Lord in the direction of lies and smartphones, or lies and corruption. And the stats bear this out. When you have time, when you have time, I want you to Google smartphones, social media, and their effects on children, and just read the articles. And for you and I to simply hand over to them the world's most effective weapon, its most potent and powerful tool in the war against our sons and daughters without being carefully engaged, diligently watchful, setting rules and restrictions, again, is one of the most unwise and undisciplined things that you as a parent can do to your offspring. So again, this might rattle you a little bit, and I hope it does. The sexual depravity of the world is always at your child's fingertips. The pressure of unrealistic, airbrushed beauty standards, always at your children's fingertips. The presentation of perfect lives as the norm, people never having problems and always being on vacation, always at your kids' fingertips. It does something to us even as adults, doesn't it? You know what, even as adults, us looking at these things all the time, it does something to our minds. Can you imagine what it does to your teenager's mind? I remember when I first became a parent, way back in 2007, I had two thoughts as we were leaving the hospital with Noah. The first was, as I had him in the car seat, the first thought was, you're really letting me leave with this thing? I didn't have this when I came in, and I don't know what to do. The second was, I'm going to do all in my power to keep the world from capturing his mind. I want to keep the world from forming the mind of my children in the directions of its wickedness. I want to strive to see my children shaped by the Lord and shaped by his word. And has it been easy? No, it's not been easy. It's very difficult. But it's our, it is commanded us by the Lord in his word. Paul also says to bring our children up in the discipline of the Lord. Or the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And the discipline also moving from the, the whole cell phone thing. The discipline called for by the Lord ranges, as a parent for you, in, from verbal admonitions to actual corporal punishment, from physical discipline done in love. We read it in Proverbs 13, for example. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. And the reason for such discipline, if it's required, is to teach them wisdom. Parents, if you're angry, never discipline your child physically. If you are seeking to help your child grow in wisdom, then use the Lord's preferred or appropriate methods. And in Proverbs 22, it says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. And while discipline is painful both for the parent and the child in the moment, 
if and when it is done rightly, if and when our children learn from it, does it not delight your heart as a parent to see your child grow in wisdom? As yet another proverb declares, discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. This is the ultimate goal of discipline, to teach your children wisdom. And again, what delights the heart of a parent more than seeing their child grow in wisdom and in the fear of the Lord? Nothing! Back to Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul continued, bring them up in the discipline and also in the instruction of the Lord. Meaning, you as a parent must always be about cautioning, warning, and advising our children your child about the dangers that they're going to encounter in this world, to prepare them, to arm them with, as Ephesians 6, 17 says, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So, parents, you have been put in the place of authority over your children, and they are commanded by the Lord to respect you, to revere you, to honor your authority and your position. You have been tasked by the Lord with teaching your children, which really are His children, by the way. He lends them to you for a time, but they belong to Him. You are tasked by the Lord with teaching your children, guiding them, disciplining them as required, instructing them, warning them, encouraging them, providing for them. And as you do this, again, Know this, that your lives as parents present and picture the Lord to them. Much of their understanding of discipline and relationship and love of God will come from you as their fathers and mothers. And they'll carry this with them on into their lives, even to adulthood. This is a solemn and consequential responsibility to be taken seriously by every parent here this morning. Now, sons and daughters, the command is to you. Look at it again, verse 16. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you. Meaning, You must hold your parents in high regard, high in your affections, and take their instruction and their discipline to heart. Because, know this, if you have good parents, there is no one in the world who loves you more than they do. Your parents are the only ones, I keep saying this to my own kids, your parents are the only ones in the world who are not out to take anything from you. Your parents are the only ones in the world who want to give you everything. To impart wisdom to you, to provide for you, to care for you, even as we discipline you. Your parents are the only ones in this world who love you simply for the sake of loving you. Even when and even as you give nothing in return, except attitude, and stomping feet, and upsetness, even when you make messes all through the house and you don't clean them up. Your parents love you and want the best for you. Almost everyone else in your life is going to try to take something from you. They'll maintain a relationship with you for as long as you provide them with some benefit. Maybe it's the way you make them feel. Maybe it's your work or your employment. Maybe it's your money. Maybe it's your body. But people are going to be trying to take from you your whole life. You know who doesn't try to take from you? Your parents. They've given you everything. They continue to give you everything. And they happily give you everything. For this reason, you are commanded to honor them. The great reformer John Calvin explained honoring your parents this way, and I quote, You should obediently comply with your parents' commands and allow yourself to be governed by them, and you should endeavor to repay what you owe them and their services. The Apostle Paul will similarly write in Ephesians 6.1, Children, 
Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Obedience, respect, and reverence are what children are commanded to give their parents. Now, what are some of the ways in which a son or a daughter might dishonor their parents? Scripture has a lot to say about this, especially in the Proverbs. But we'll start in Exodus. Exodus 21.15 says this, Whoever strikes his father or mother shall be put to death. Striking or hitting a parent was considered in Israel a capital offense. A serious crime in Israel. A crime worthy of execution. Sons and daughters, you must never disrespect your parents by ever lifting a hand to them physically. It is a terrible sin for which the Lord will hold you accountable. Exodus 21 speaks to yet another way a son or a daughter dishonors their parents by saying in verse 17, whoever curses his father or mother shall be put to death. In this context, this speaks to children who in the ancient world would, in anger, invoke or conjure up some god in order to set an actual curse on their parents for their harm. But it also refers to speaking about your parents in ways that devalue them, that make them small, or to make them insignificant. How do you talk about your parents to your friends at school? How do you talk about your parents in your mind when you're upset at them? If you remember, the word for honor is to make weighty, heavy, and significant. The word here for curse means to make light and unimportant. And this too in Israel was considered a capital crime. The way you speak about your parents was considered by Israelites a matter of grave importance. The words you use to talk about them and to describe them are very important. And this is cautioned against many times in Scripture. For example, in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 9, we read, Anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon him. So, striking, cursing. Another way, according to the, the scriptures, that a child fails to honor their parents is by bringing shame and dishonor upon the name of their parents. That's what's being spoken of in Deuteronomy 27, verse 16. Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or his mother. To bring shame upon your parents, according to Scripture here in Israel, was a curse-worthy deed. Yet another is this in Proverbs a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. Meaning, to live a foolish life is to dishonor your parents. And again, in Proverbs 15:1, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother. And even more, Proverbs 17:25, a foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. Foolish here means to be devoid of any good sense, any sound judgment, one who has no problem living a rude, disrespectful, and ungodly life. The word means to be stupid and dull, to live in a manner that brings grief and bitterness and shame to your parents, parents who tried to raise them so well. And the Proverbs keep coming. Telling us yet more ways sons and daughters might dishonor their parents and in doing so violate the command. As we read in Proverbs 19.26, He who does violence to his father and chases away his mother is a son who brings shame and reproach. To do violence here means physical, emotional, and verbal violence. To assail your parents with hot-tempered deeds and hot-headed words. And to chase away one's mother means to drive her out, to send her out of her, your home when she is in need of your help and in need of your care. The Proverbs pronounce such a child as this as one who brings shame 
meaning they are a humiliation and an embarrassment. They bring reproach, which means disgrace to their parents. And again, the Proverbs will say in Proverbs 28, 24, whoever robs his father or mother and says, that's no transgression, is a companion to a man who destroys. Robbery here means to take from them by force, without their consent, by using trickery and lies. There are sons and daughters who will rob their parents, who will steal from them and consider it no big deal because, well, they're my parents. But this is to dishonor your parents, and it puts you in a depraved class of mankind, according to the proverb. Puts you in a class of people whose lives are devoted to damaging, spoiling, and ensnaring others and destroying them in the process. So striking your parents, cursing them, living a foolish, disobedient, godless, immoral life, chasing away your mother in her old age when she needs you to do for her what she once did for you, care for her, to verbally berate your parents, or to take from them by tricks, force, or deception. These are all ways, the scripture tells us, are by which a son or a daughter dishonors and disobeys their parents. And in the New Testament, such disobedience, Paul lists them twice in the lists that describe debased, depraved minds. In Romans 1, he's, in verse 28, he is describing or speaking about the Lord giving a certain people up to a debased mind. And that phrase, debased, means worthless, morally reprehensible, and despicable in your reasoning. And because your mind is debased, that's, that leads to your actions being debased as well. As the old proverb says in the King James, as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. If your mind is debased... That will result in your life following suit. And listen to the moral corruptions that Paul puts in his description of a debased mind in Romans 1.30. They're slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, and disobedient to parents. And again, in 2 Timothy 3.2, the Apostle Paul warning the church about the types of people that will arise and cause problems in the last days, he wrote this. Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, and disobedient to their parents. Disobeying parents. Not obeying them, not complying with their authority is listed by the Apostle Paul in two lists describing people who are corrupt and immoral. Meaning that for you who live at home with your parents, for you not to do what your parents command you to do is outright sin and a sign of a debased and depraved mind. Talk about scriptural clarity. The only time you must not obey your parents is if they command you to do something the Lord Jesus Christ has forbidden. Nor are you to walk in your parents' paths if those paths are evil. The Lord made this very thing clear to the Israelites in the wilderness. The very generation hearing Deuteronomy 5 retold to them is described in Ezekiel It is described in Ezekiel chapter 20, the Lord said to them, I said to their children in the wilderness, do not walk in the statutes of your fathers, nor keep their rules, nor defile yourself with their idols. I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So sons and daughters, if your parents demand or command you to walk, talk, or live contrary to the will and the command of the Lord, only then are you permitted to disobey. And parents, you should never I mean, never call your children to do anything ungodly, to sinful conduct, or to disobedience to the Lord, your God. But young people, hear yet another proverb this morning. Listen to your father, Proverbs 23, 22. Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Listen as in, do what your father says, Do not show contempt to your mother when she gets old. Instead, as our parents age, hear the words written by the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 5. 
he writes this, Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. Did you hear that? Children and grandchildren, godliness is shown and it pleases the Lord by making what Paul calls here some return to your parents. As in some show of gratitude for all they did when they raised you. This is pleasing in the sight of God. And for those who would refuse to care for their aging parents, Paul continues in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially the members of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So children, honor and obey your parents when you are young and you are living under their roof. And as they age, honor and show your respect and gratitude to them by helping them as they get on in their later years. At this moment in your life, if you are living at home, hear this clearly. When your father establishes a rule in your house, your response is simply, yes, I will obey. And when your mother tells you, go brush your teeth, get ready for bed, your answer is simply, yes, mother, I will do as you say. That's it. So how seriously was this command taken in Israel of old? Let's hear again from the Proverbs. In Proverbs 20, verse 20, we read this. If one curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. Meaning those under the Mosaic Covenant who cursed their parents, their blood would be on their own head and the Lord would bring about an untimely death. To honor one's father and mother meant prolonged life, right, in the command. To curse them meant death. And not just any death, but it says a light put out as they descend into the thickest darkness. It gets even worse. In Proverbs 30, verse 17, the Proverbs of King Agur, the picture is even more vivid and more terrifying, saying this, The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by vultures. Meaning the son or the daughter in Israel who jeers and derides and disparages and insults and verbally ridicules or scoffs at mom or, fa- mom or dad who thinks themselves above obeying the words of their mother, such an I, I here is used to represent the whole son in question, such a defiant son is pictured as meeting a most unceremonious end. What end? His unburied carcass is left out in Israel for the scavengers to devour. Does that sound like scripture takes this seriously? This is how serious this sin is, that the Lord would describe the end of the rebellious, mocking, disobedient son or daughter with pictures such as this. Deuteronomy 21, the Mosaic law outlines consequences of a son or daughter who is disobedient. Not just disobedient, but like super disobedient. Deuteronomy 21, verse 18, If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, meaning this is not simply some naughty child, this is not some child who needs to be led through the course of correction as they grow, this is one whose rebellious, rebellion and stubbornness runs well beyond, defiant and obstinate, a son that has reached and sped past the limits of family discipline and now threatens the whole family. The parents have disciplined him. They've admonished him the best they can. They're good parents trying to do their best, but nothing has worked. The son will not listen. If this were to happen in Israel, we read in verse 19, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives, meaning they were to grasp him, to seize this son, bring him to the impartial judges that make the decisions for the community. The parents were not given the right to do this on their own because... This was a protection given in Israel against unfair, harsh, and capricious fathers. The elders have to make this decision. And if this son is as rebellious as they say, this is going to impact the wider community, and so the representatives of the community must be in the decision-making. 
And he goes on. And the parents shall say to the elders of this city, This our son is, a, is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city, no, not the parents, all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones, and so you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. Verse 21 helps us to understand why rebellion and disobedience among the children in Israel was such a monumental deal, and the harsh penalties were enacted in the time, so that evil would be purged from the community, and that others would hear and therefore follow, not follow in the footsteps of that rebellious son. You see it in the second half of the command in verse 16. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long, and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Did you hear it? That it may go well with you in the land. Did you hear that little phrase there? Rebellious, disobedient sons and daughters in Israel must be dealt with in this manner because they threatened the, t- the covenant life of Israel. If life in the land was to be pleasing, merry, joyful, long, and happy, well-ordered families are the key. Parents lovingly and wisely fulfilling their duty as parents to children, and children respectfully with reverence and honor listening to and obeying their parents. If this order is established by the Lord, and if if this is not followed, it won't be long before the entire house of Israel will itself be toppled. The life of the nation depended on this order being followed. And even today, we know this, right? Even today, the same can be said for any society. When parents don't parent, and these unparented or badly parented children grow up to be disrespectful, unruly, and rebellious, what happens to the generation they produce? And how long can a society live like that before it falls apart? I mean, look at our continent right now, filled with young people breaking into homes and stealing from stores at a level I've never witnessed before. I've been hearing about the terror that are groups of teenage girls entering makeup stores in malls all across North America, stealing all the makeup samples, and as the adults in the room try to tell them not to, they are met with hostility and insults from these teenage girls, and you're like, where are the parents? There is no fear in this generation of children, and one wonders how long it can go on before the very fabric of our society is pulled apart. It's for this reason that we, as the people of the Lord, must be extra diligent. The Lord knows what will happen to a nation of disobedient children, and for this reason He has so clearly and forcefully commanded parents and children If you would be a family that shines the light of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world, one of the clearest and best ways, aside from actually proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, is to obey his command to order our homes according to his good design. It is still the case that as Paul reiterates in Ephesians 6, when children honor their father and their mother, it will go well with them and they will live long in the land. So, in closing... Fathers and mothers, if you haven't been parenting well, it's not too late. It's never too late to begin parenting well. It is time for you to hear and obey the command of your heavenly father with respect to your children. Teach them, train them in the fear and in the instruction and the discipline of the Lord. And in order for you to do that, you are going to have to take your own faith seriously. Because you can't and you won't lead your children to a place that you've never been. And all sons and daughters here this morning, if you have not been good in the home following the course or the command that God has established for you, it's not too late. Listen to your parents. Obey your parents. If you live at home with them, honor them, revere them, obey them. Never mock them, never curse them, never insult them, never strike them, never steal from them, never argue with them. But instead, simply do what they tell you to do, even if you hate it. 
take their guidance, their instruction, and their wisdom seriously. They've lived longer than you have. They know more than you do. They know things that you don't even know you don't know. And best of all, best of all, they love you. Father, thank you for this time that we've had this morning. I pray that parents would be edified and encouraged and that we would take seriously the call to be good parents. I pray that sons and daughters here this morning that are living at home would be encouraged to honor, revere, and respect their parents. We ask that the well-ordered families that comprise Winona Gospel Church would be a light to this world. We pray that our parents would grow and our teens and sons and daughters would grow up into the image and likeness of the Lord. And in so doing, when we go out into the world and we preach the gospel, we'll have the witness of our families behind us. And it'll add so much to that proclamation. So, Father, I pray that you would help us be better parents, be better sons and daughters. And we pray once again for Greg and ask that you would be working in him caring for him at this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and we'll sing a song called A Christian Home. And this song strengthens the familiar.